So um, we, we've been in Genesis since the, the September, and, you know, when I'm kind of planning my sermon series, I rough, you know, I know what passages are coming ahead that we're going to be talking about, and so I generally have a pretty good idea the main things I'm going to be talking about in each passage. You know, I'm familiar with them. I've studied them. I've known this passage is coming all fall, and I know it's six, seven verses, and I, and I knew it was the week before Christmas. And I was, I have not had no idea what <laughs> I was going to say about it. It's kind of a strange, long story. And, but I realized just this last week on Wednesday, it occurred to me that uh, this, this is a passage that when I got ordained, uh, one, of, one of my mentors, Mike Kelly, is a pastor in Seattle. He uh, uh, got up to give a charge. So when you, know, when you become a pastor, you, you, you have these men, they come and they lay hands on you and they pray for you. And one of them gives you a charge about your life of ministry. And the passage that he gave the charge on was Genesis 24, about Abraham telling his servant to go find a, a wife for uh, his son Isaac. And you might say, what, what does that have anything to do with being a pastor? Well, um, in the Bible, uh, you know, I think he got this idea from uh, Jonathan Edwards. Um, but in the Bible, marriage, the purpose of marriage, ultimately, is that marriage is a picture of the gospel. Of, uh, you know, that it says that, that uh, Jesus has died uh, for people from every nation and they are his bride that he has bought with his own blood and the end of uh, history you know when Jesus comes back is the marriage supper of the lamb so the whole purpose of what marriage is is a picture of Christ and the church and so what Jonathan Edwards says is that what you have here is the story is the father sending a servant to go tell the bride and invite her to come to the promised son and be married to him and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, actually in this passage, uh, the servant is, he's the one that's highlighted. Who's the main character? He's kind of this, he's not even named in this passage, but he's the main one. He's shown very faithful. He's praying. He's going to the woman. He's going into the house. He's eating with them. He's talking to them. He's trusting God. The main person is the servant. And what he's doing is he's going and inviting this bride to come and be married to the promised son. And, you know, Abraham... Tell, tells him that his task is kind of this solemn task. You know, he had, I don't know if you caught that little thing. He says, Abraham says, put your hand under my thigh and make an oath to me that you'll get a wife from my son, from, from my family. That's kind of a discreet way of, you know, Abraham's kind of standing like this and, you know, put your hand on my thigh. is, is kind of a nice way to say, uh, grab my stuff and, uh, and promise me, you know, this is an intense oath. This is a solemn oath. They're getting very personal here. And, uh, and Abraham is saying, I, you know, I want you, this is a heart-to-heart we're going to have. And this, you're doing something very important here. And so the servant had to, you know, get, get intimate with Abraham and say, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. This, he's got an, a, a solemn uh, task to go find the bride. And the fact is that we as a church... This is, I, I'm going to stop standing like this. <laughs> Sorry. I got, what if I got stuck like that? You wouldn't listen to anything I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> we as a church, uh, we have a solemn oath to go and invite the bride from all nations to come to the husband, the true husband, Jesus. That's our calling as a church. And, um, and what that means is that... Um, what we are as a church is we're not just a spiritual club. We're not just a place to make each other 
feel good about one another, to love. We're doing that. We're loving each other. We need to have community. We need to be a family. But we have a mission. We have a calling to go out. You know, all this stuff in the Bible that's happening that we read about happened in the Middle East, you know, thousands of years ago. And all of a sudden, here we are up in Bellingham. What are we doing up here? God has placed us here. He has sent us to Bellingham with this solemn oath to go and invite the bride to come to the to come to the husband. And um, and what that means for us as a church, you know, we're a young church, we're a church plant, is that means that it, we have to have it as part of kind of our understanding of our calling, our vocation, our, our sense of what do we, the purpose of our life is to share our faith. Something as a community. It's not something that we just do as individuals. As a community, we have to be, have an understanding that we're, we have a calling to share our faith. And I know for many of you, that's an intimidating thing. Intimidating thing, you know, maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you don't know anyone who's not a Christian. And so to think of talking to someone who believes things that are very different about you than you and to actually share with them this hope that's deep down in you that you hold very dear to your heart, that's an intimidating and fearful thing. And yet that's our calling. And so my hope, my prayer as we look at this passage is I want to look at this servant, uh, Abraham's servant, which this passage gives so much attention to what does it look like for him to go and do this mission uh, to invite the bride? And actually, um, what I want to do is I want to draw out six qualities, six-point sermon. Get ready. I, long passage, a lot of points. Six, points. six words that describe the servants of the Father who go and invite the bride to come to the husband. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I don't actually talk. In the, in the course of our church, even though in a church plant like this, Usually, you know, uh, rule of thumb is that I should be telling you all the time to be sharing your faith and inviting people to church. And, I, you know, I actually don't do that that much. Uh, that's part of the reason I make sure I preach right through the Bible so that I'm not telling you what I want you to be doing, but to make sure the Bible, you know, I'm telling you the Bible. And we talk about the gospel and, and people come. And, uh, and yet, even though I, I don't talk a lot about that, about sharing our faith, it's really very close to the heart of why this church exists. This is why this church started. This is a place for people who don't know Jesus, who've been, uh, uh, who are hurting, who need the love of Christ to come and be married to the true husband. That's the purpose of this church. So this is an important uh, topic for us. This servant is an important uh, um, person for us to, to learn from uh, as we look at this passage. So six words that describe uh, the servant. And the first one is this is that people who share their faith are sent. They're people who are sent. Okay, now you see that in, uh, in verse 2, where Abraham, uh, and Abraham said to the servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, uh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from the son of my daughters of the Canaanites whom, uh, among whom I dwell, but will go. You'll go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. So the first thing is that this servant needs to go. He has a sense of he is a messenger who has been sent with a task. And the beginning of us being a community that is actually sharing our faith, that we don't just exist for us, but we exist for the sake of Bellingham, we exist for the sake of our neighbors, is for us to have a sense of identity that wherever we are, God has sent us there. And a lot of times we think, you know, if God's going to send me, I got to, I got to go, I got to go to another country, I got to go on a mission trip, I got to, um, I, I need to be a pastor, I need to get ordained, 
And we don't realize that wherever you are right now, wherever you work, whatever neighborhood you're in, whatever relationships God has already naturally given you, that is where you're sent. I mean, to share your faith is not something you've got to go make up new relationships and meet some stranger on the street and barge into their life. There's people that God has already barged you into their life. And you're already there. And a lot of us, is to, uh, the beginning is for us to be aware that where we are right now, look, we're already thousands and thousands of miles away from where Jesus was, you know, we've already been sent. He's placed us here. And so the beginning is to have a self-identity that we're a sent people. In your job, talking to your neighbors, uh, even in your family. Many of us have family members that aren't believers. Those are natural relationships that God has already given us. There's already trust there. There's already other connection points of relationships. He's already given us those things. And, uh, you know, in the early church, uh, there's a, uh, uh, Kelsus was an early philosopher in the second century. He was a Platonist who opposed Christianity. And one of his biggest uh, criticisms of Christianity was that the, way, the reason it was spreading so much was um, it wasn't, they weren't talking about philosophy and they weren't uh, debating, actually Christians were debating philosophy, but that wasn't the main way it was, it was spreading. The main way Christianity was spreading in the early, in the early church was he describes the women uh, were gossiping about Jesus uh, you know, in the kitchens and in the marketplace while they're doing laundry. And he's just like, oh, they're just, you know, it's just these women gushing about Jesus. And you know what it was? He's, the, you know, he had this very low view of what these women were doing, and they were transforming the world. And they weren't doing anything besides their everyday life. They were in the market, they were cooking, and they were talking with people, and they were looking for opportunities to share their faith. And actually, uh, you know, many historians say that Christianity would not have grown the way that it did in the early centuries if it weren't for the time in history when Christianity began during the time of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, where the Roman Empire had created an extensive um, amount of peace, you know, in North Africa, into uh, Asia, and into Europe, and there were just trade routes, and so merchants, you know, Christians who were just merchants, just doing their business, were doing traveling and going places, and they'd go to some new town, and they'd start telling people about Jesus. They were just doing their work. They weren't even missionaries. And their work was taking them to places where they could share their faith. And they had a self-understanding that I'm a sent person. And so the beginning of sharing our faith is for us to begin to understand that wherever we are, you don't have to go somewhere new. Who who has God already just put you next to? Who are you spending your week with? Or who lives next door? You know, that's where you've been sent. And just, it's it's a big thing. Um, uh, It's a change that happens in our hearts. Now, um... For some of you, that, you know, that's frightening. Say, wow, um, yeah, I'm close to these people, but, you know, we don't talk about religion, you know, and I, I, I can't imagine them understanding my faith or uh, I can't imagine having a conversation with them. That feels a lot of, that feels a lot of pressure to get from where they are now. Now I got to, like, convert them or something. I got to um, change all the ways that they think and, and then to have them act like me. I just can't imagine that happening. I can't imagine, let alone me doing that. And the second thing, the second word that's important for us to understand as uh, people who share our faith is that we are powerless. We're absolutely powerless. Um, it's interesting. There's, as Abraham's sending this servant to go find a bride for his son, he gives a little caveat there in uh, verse 8. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. He's saying, listen, you're a messenger, you go and you tell it, but listen, you can't make this 
woman come and be the son. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to, is to be a sent person, to be a messenger, to deliver the message, but you can't change her heart. And, uh, and the fact is um, that that's true for us as well. As we have a calling to invite people to come to the Lord, we can't change their hearts. That's the work of God. You know, Jesus says that. No one can come to me unless the Father uh, who sent me draws him. People only come by the Holy Spirit working in them. And that's, that's such so freeing to us. If you're sharing your faith, it's not my responsibility to convert people, to make them Christians, to make them believe in God. I can't do that. And, and a, lot, you know, a lot of Christians don't understand that. They think it is their responsibility. I need to argue this person into believing like I do. I need to, I need to challenge them. Um, I, I'm just going to keep talking until they're a Christian, and they blab, 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 and they're just... And, uh, and actually, a lot of people have been aggravated by Christians because Christians uh, you know, are pushy. And what, because we think we have to get control of this person and make them think like I do. But we're powerless. And what that does is when we know that I'm not the one that's going to be changing someone's heart, I'm not the one that's going to make them come to the husband, then it frees me to stop talking, <laughs> start listening a lot more. And uh, it takes a tremendous amount of pressure um, off of us. And, um, and it frees us to listen. And, you know, I, I, one comment that I want us to have as, as kind of an understanding in our church is it's really important to, to listen to people where they are spiritually before you start talking to them about God. And we have to understand that as a church. You know, um, it, it, it's important that for all of us, we don't just assume that because someone is in this building, that means they believe just like we believe. Okay, so, you know, this is a Presbyterian church. There's a lot of people in here who have never been Presbyterian before. They might not even believe you know, this is a church for Christians. That's because we want just if you're a Christian, you be a member of this church. You can be a member of this church. If, even if you're not a Christian, we want you to come and hear about Jesus, and you can have time to process. And what that means is, you're meeting one another. You just can't assume about someone that you're meeting if you if you haven't talked to them about God. You don't know where where they stand. And if sometimes we'll just assume, oh, of course, you believe all the things that I believe, or you believe everything the church believes, and not necessarily. And we need to slow down and listen. Find out about people. And, uh, and, and what, we're not the ones that are in control. Does that make sense? So, so uh, look at so far, uh, people who share their faith understand their scent, but they also understand they're powerless. And when people understand they're powerless, that leads to the third thing that pe- uh, people who share their faith do, is they pray because they're powerless. <laughs> they know that the main thing they need to be doing is they need to be praying and asking God to work. God's the primary worker. He's the primary one who's, who's drawing people to himself. It's not us. He's the hero, is that we pray. And you'll notice that in this passage, this servant prays three times. Three times he's, uh, he's going before the Lord. Actually, uh, as you follow the prayers, the first prayer it says he's spoke to the, he said to the lord this second prayer it says he bowed down in worship the third prayer it says he bowed down to the earth and the servant is in these three prayers he's getting lower and lower before god and even realizing more and more his powerlessness before god that god is the one who's working and prospering things and i uh, will just we won't look at all three but look at verse 12 um uh you know the servant so abraham says i want you to go to my homeland i want you to find a a wife for me 
And uh, so the servant goes, and he's outside of the city, and he's making this plan of, you know, how am I going to find, of all these women, which one is the one that God wants Isaac to marry? And so in verse 12 is what he says. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the, water, uh, the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman... Women, uh, woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will uh, water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He's praying before he is even beginning to talk to anyone. He's asking God to lead the way, asking God to guide him. And, you know, as you read Jesus' preparations for his disciples, his disciples are going to go out, they're going to share the faith, they're going to have to make disciples of all nations. He's continually telling them to pray. And, you know, the, one uh, Paul Miller says, you can summarize all of Jesus' teaching on prayer with one word. Ask. Just ask. There are places where you would like to see God work. It is a huge step to move from not asking God to simply asking him to do something. And, and, you know, many of us think of praying, oh, if I'm going to be praying for my neighbors, I need to spend an hour. Um, uh, and you may have that. There may be times where we need to spend an hour, you know, praying over someone and the Spirit's doing it. But that's not generally, at least for me, that's not what prayer usually looks like. It is the biggest step for me to go just from saying nothing to saying something. <laughs> that is a giant step. And to say, God, will you do something? Uh, and one of the things you see of this servant's prayer is that it's specific. You know, even just reading the details of the story, some of you are like, what's going on? There's the camels and the water, and then he's gotta, she's got to give him the water. What's, it's a very specific prayer. He's asking God to do specific things. And, you know, when you're asking God to do specific things, it's a much greater risk. You're really asking uh, God to show up. You say, you know, I'm about to go work with my neighbor. We started a conversation last week, and it got cut off. Lord, I'd like to finish that conversation. Could you, could you get us back into that conversation? That's a specific prayer that we're asking. And, um, and that's primarily how God wants to work. He wants to show us that he's the powerful one, he's the primary worker, that he's going before us, because he, wants to get the, he gets the glory for it then. He's the hero, right? So, um, so that's a call for us. To be people who are sharing our faith is that, is that we're asking God to work. We're asking God about specific people, specific neighbors, people that you work with. You might not have even thought that here's someone I work with. Maybe I should have a relationship with them. Maybe I should have them over for dinner. Maybe I need to pray to ask that they would be willing to take a risk to come into my house or to go get a beer or have a, uh, have a cup of coffee. Whatever it is, to have some time to talk with one another, right? So, uh, so prayer is the third thing. Um, but when you start praying, that will lead to the fourth thing that someone who's sharing their faith will be doing. The fourth thing is that they're watching. The fourth thing is that a person who's sharing their faith is watching for where God is working. Now, um, you see that, uh, so the, Abraham's servant, his name's Eliezer. He, uh, he goes to Mesopotamia. He has this plan. Lord, show me the woman. I'm going to get some water. She offers me water. I want her to offer water for my camels too. He goes, this woman does this, uh, Rebecca does this, and it says in verse 21 that the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey. 
He's praying and he's looking for where's God at work. He's observing uh, where's God at work. And um, that's a big transition. It's, it's related to being, understanding ourself, ourselves as sent people wherever we are. But to be observant, opening our eyes, where's God at work? And I'll tell you that if you're, you know, if you're loving people, if you're treating people well, if you're tender, if you're gentle, if you're caring, if you're compassionate, you will find that people will give you little flashes like this in their heart. Uh, I guess my heart's over here, sorry, the left hand. Uh, okay, they're going to give you flashes like this because people who are hurting want to talk about it. Let me just say that again. People who are hurting want to talk about it. And so if they think that you might be someone that can be trusted, that is, uh, is not going to be uh, um, you know, pushy with them, is not going to be arrogant with them, if they think you're going to be uh, curious, that you'll be vulnerable with them, that you'll be gentle with them, people will give you a flash like this of opening their hearts and to test whether you want to come in and explore their life with them. And we miss them all the time. Uh, you know, this is a, something I'm learning as a pastor, that especially now as a pastor, people are more and more do this for me. And um, they want you to say, hey, what's that? <laughs> you know, and, and this is why asking questions is, is a terribly important skill as Christians. Um, and it is to ask questions. And, you know, I actually think it's, it's it, I'm terrible at asking questions. And in some ways, that's better. Because then you're not um, as aggressive. You know, you're more like, oh, you said that. I can, what is that? Or what, do you want to say so? Can I hear more about that? You know, it's a terrible question. But it's very disarming. And people say, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you more. And they, they, you're kind of, you know, wow, you're kind of an idiot. And I, you're not going to hurt me, okay? So, um, so, but showing an openness, I want to hear about your life. Um, and the only way you'll see that is if you're attentive and you're watching. And I'll just tell you, people opening, letting light into their life is something that the Holy Spirit does. That means that God is at work in their life. That means the Holy Spirit is at work in life they're, when they're showing you those things. And they're inviting you to explore them. And this is what he's doing. He's, it says he's, he's gazing in silence trying to learn if the Lord had prospered his ways. Trying to learn if God had answered his prayers. He's watching. Where is God answering prayers? Where is God at work? Okay, and um, you know Francis Schaeffer. Um, he, many of you know him. He was, you know, an evangelist and kind of Christian philosopher kind of guy, and uh, spent a lot of time with people who were wrestling with their faith or not Christians. And he would say that uh, if he had an hour with someone, he would spend fifty-five minutes listening to them, and then five minutes uh, talking to them about the gospel. Because the only way I understand how the gospel makes sense of your life is if I know your life. I need to know your life if, I'm gonna, if it's going to connect. And so he says we need to listen. First, we need to be watching. We need to be silently gazing, seeing if the Lord's prospering our ways, right? We need to be doing that. And so, um, and now, you know, let me pause there. We're four-sixths of the way through, right? We're four-sixths. And for those of you who say, you know, I can't imagine myself being, sharing my faith. Look at the four-sixths. To understand your scent, to understand you're powerless, to pray, and to watch. Let me tell you, if, we're a chur- if we just be a church that's doing four out of six right now, we're doing a lot. And I guarantee you, you do those four out of six, ask yourself, can I do four out of six? I, I think most of you could, you know what I mean? Because it's all about what God's doing, right? You're watching what God's doing, it's not you doing it. 
And, uh, and if you're doing four out of six, you're going to find yourself having all kinds of opportunities to talk about Jesus. Or as uh, Dan Allender says, the great privilege of talking about Jesus. And that's really what sharing our faith is, is having the opportunity to talk to people about who Jesus is. And so the, uh, the, fifth, the fifth word that describes people who are sharing their faith is announcing. Announcing. Now, um, let me say this first. You know, the word gospel, it's the Greek word euangelion. Uh, in, in the ancient world, that word euangelion, what that meant means good news. The context that that would be used in is you would have, you know, a king. Let's say there's a king who has this kingdom and there was some kind of rebellion within the kingdom and there's a battle and they're fighting for this kingdom and the king wins the battle. What he does is he then sends out heralds who go out to the surrounding towns and villages to announce to everyone the king has won the battle. And, you know, you're, you're basically choosing, are you going to side with the king? Are you going to side with the rebellion? You know, side with the king. He's good. He's actually, he'll, he'll forgive Whatever I mean, in the case of Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's, he's the king who's won the battle, and he'll forgive. He wants you to come to him. He's a good king, and it's, life is good living under his rule. Come and, come and rule for him. So that's what we're doing. That, when Jesus says, I want you to go preach the gospel, that's what he says. I want you to go be heralds. You're announcing to the world what God has done in Jesus. We're not telling the world, you know, morality. Here's, here, here's five steps on how to live a better life. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> We're not trying to change people's lives and make them better people. We're not philosophizing with people. We're announcing what God has done. And we're basically telling a story. And, you know, that's what you see here with the servant. The servant is very careful in his timing, right? He's very methodical. I'm praying. I'm making sure that the right gal. I'm watching to see where God's working. Uh, uh, Rebecca's family invites him into the house and shows, puts a meal before him. And then finally he says, listen, I want to eat, but I have something I need to say to you. And that's uh, here in verse 34. Uh, So he said, I am Abraham's servant. And look at what he's saying. He's telling the story of what God has been doing in this family. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and goat, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And my master's wife bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he's given all that he has. He's given to this son. This son is the heir of everything. Um, and my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife uh, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in, whom, uh, in whose uh, land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and my clan and take a wife for my son. Saying, Look, this son, he, he's the heir of all things, and he wants you to come be his wife. It's an, it, this great invitation, and it's simply an announcement, and he's telling a story. And that's one of the things for us to understand is that what we're doing is when we're announcing to the world, uh, talking about Jesus, we're trying to tell the story of the world. We're trying to tell this is the story. Everyone is living in a giant story. and We want to tell you what it is. In order to live your, understand life, you need to understand the story. And, you know, one of the keys to that is learning to tell the story to people in ways that they understand. Okay, let, let me give you an example of this. Uh, about a year and a half ago, Shannon and I had... Uh, a close friend of Shannon's was a Christian uh, and she was going to be married she just got engaged to this, uh, this guy really a great guy uh, he's not a Christian though and they had called us and said hey we're coming up to visit you know, we want to spend the day with you and so they were coming up and we're like great that'd be great to see you guys we're excited and um, on the way up uh, I get a little uh, secret um, you know uh, message that um, they're actually going to ask me to marry them. 
And I'm like, whoa, okay. Because, uh, you know, for me, as a, I believe a Christian should marry a Christian. And all of a sudden, I got an hour till they're going to be here. And I'm figuring out, okay, how am I going to handle the situation? And, uh, and she and I are kind of praying, trying to figure it out. And they're hanging out. And so they come up, and they're hanging out. And we're waiting for this question to come up. And, and I didn't want to say yes or no. I just I kind of wanted to explore it with them. But I also wanted to be excited for them. And, you know. So there's wrestling going on, and all of a sudden, we're hanging out the whole afternoon, and we're waiting for the question. All of a sudden, it occurs to me, you know, the Lord's like, you need, I, I, don't wait for them to start the conversation. You need to go start the conversation and talk to them about the Lord. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So all of a sudden, I'm watching. It turns me into watching mode. And so I'm talking to him, and he's, he's a very gifted artist. He's a writer. He, does, he makes movies. Um, he's an actor. He's very, very gifted. And we get talking, and I start asking him about things he's working on. He tells me, uh, you know, yeah, I, I need to write some stuff. I was like, what do you, you got any ideas of stuff you want to write about? He's like, yeah, you know, I feel like I should write about people treating each other decently. You know, I think people don't do that anymore. I'd like to write something on people treating each other decently. So I say, well, you know, everyone knows you're supposed to treat each other decently. It seems like a bigger question is why don't we treat each other decently? Have you ever thought about that? And he's like, no. Man, no, that is a good question. Why don't we? And he's like, you got an answer for that? And, you know, while... You know, served up on a platter. Thank you. Uh, uh, don't mind if I do. Um, so this, uh, you know, and I know I just said Francis Schaefer listens for 55 minutes. You know, he listened for the next 55 minutes. As I, uh, but you know, well, this is what I said to him. I said, well, okay, you know, as a Christian, you know, we believe that basically fundamentally God is an artist. And that uh, the whole world, you know, the universe, the stars, and the nebulae, or whatever they're, you know, in the, in the trees, and the rivers, and the mountains, it's all God's, he's a, a beautiful, brilliant artist. And we're living in his artwork. And actually, that, um, what humans are, the thing that makes humans different than uh, the rest of the world and animals and stuff like that, is basically we are his masterpieces, his self-portraits. Where he's, uh, he's actually, you know, that work of love where he's pouring himself and all of his own qualities are, are, are being shaped. And he's like, he's sculpting us. You know, that's, you know, the Bible says we're made in the image of God. And that the problem with the world is that we have rebelled against the artist who's supposed to shape our life. And uh, to form us and to make us beautiful and uh, to teach us uh, to live. And... Uh, and so that's, you know, that's what's wrong with the world. And, um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting as you look at the artwork of the world, you know, what, what kind of, what's the medium, what, what genre, or what medium are we living in? You know, is it, are we statues, are we a painting, or what? And, well, actually, we're probably more like a novel or, or a, an epic story we're living in. And... Uh, what Christians believe is that, that the, the deep meaning of the world is that there's a brilliant artist who actually wrote himself into the story. And that's what Jesus is, is the author of the story actually becoming the main character and the hero. And actually, this conversation we're having is part of that story. And God has orchestrated this, and he wrote this conversation into that. And uh, he's like, whoa. And just heart is wide open. You know, I'm not talking, I hardly say any Bible language or, you know, it's Christian language. I'm talking in his language. And his heart was wide open to it. And because... Because I knew about his passions. I knew what was in his heart. And I could speak to the things that were in his heart was in his heart. 
right? Art wasn't his heart. That rhymes. Uh, okay, so um, do you see what I'm saying? And so, so when, when people give you this, when they're flashing their hearts, when you've listened, you know how to s- tell the story in a way that hits at the things that are at the center of who they are. Now, some of you say, um, great, that's cool. God is the artist. I would never thought of that if I was sitting there talking to him. Uh, well, you know what? You know what? Uh, you know what Eliezer does is uh, right after this, he tells the story of what God's doing, and then he goes back and he starts to tell the story of how he's seen God working, and God's and, and he's telling his own story. I mean, one commentator says one of the things that's the qualities of the servant in this story is how transparent he is. His life is open. And I'll tell you that if you go out in the world and you, if our story is that Jesus is saving sinners and you let people in and show them that you're a sinner who God has saved by sheer grace and you're willing to be vulnerable and risk that with him, that is terribly uh, powerful. It's very compelling. You know, if you want to convict someone that they're a sinner, show them that you're a sinner. <laughs> and and they'll, they'll let their guards down. Okay? So if you, can't, if you can't tell the story of God as the artist, tell your own story of what God is doing. That's what we're doing. We're telling the story of the world and our place in it. And um, I'll tell you what that does. This is, this is the last point. Um, what this whole thing means is that our life, our role as a community, our, as individuals, is that our life is not about us. You know, so much of our life is about getting people to fall in love with me. I want people to fall in love with me. And, you know, what's interesting about uh, uh, Eliezer, we, we read about Eliezer briefly in Genesis 15. Eliezer was originally the heir of Abraham. Abraham's very rich. And, and Eliezer was supposed to in- inherit everything. And then when Abraham's 100 years old, wrinkly old Abraham, he has Isaac. <laughs> and Isaac becomes the heir. And Eliezer loses everything. And yet here's Eliezer still going and... Telling Rebecca and pointing her uh, to the son. And that's the last quality of someone who shares their faith is that it's just this humility of wanting them to fall in love with someone else. And let me just read this uh, verse 63. And Isaac, uh, so, uh, you know, Eliezer um, uh, brings Rebecca back uh, to, to Isaac in, in the promised land. It says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to her servant, she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. She points the bride, said, Don't, you know, he's done all this work. He's the one to go get her. And he says, I don't, don't fall in love with me. Fall in love with the promised son. And the thing is, you know, what, you know what's so good about that? Is we're going to go out and we're sharing our faith and we're telling people. And you know what? We're going to do it badly. You know, you're going to ask weird questions like, oh, I, can I hear more about that? And you're, you're, you're learning, you're bumbling. That's how we're going to do it. God's a hero. And we're not pointing people to us. <laughs> it's better if we're bumbling along and people still come. Because our hope is that people don't fall in love with us. They fall in love with Jesus, the true husband. And so uh, this is our calling as a church, and um, I, pray, I pray that God would just use this, that we would have a sense of calling and identity, um, you know, maybe going into this new year, that, uh, that uh, God would give us many connections, many of these, <laughs> and we'd respond to them gently and, and with the hope of the gospel. So may God give that to us. Let's pray together. Our Lord.
we thank you uh, that you've called us your bride and uh, we are in love with you and we pray that you'd stir our hearts to love you more and we pray uh, for the, uh, those who you are drawing and uh, we pray that we could have the joy in this church to see many come and fall in love with Jesus and, um, and not in love with us. <laughs> Give us that humility. Give us your spirit. And all these qualities, give us courage as well. And help us to encourage one another as a body that this would be something we do together as we share our faith. And um, in the years ahead, the years of this church, would many people come uh, to a saving knowledge of the Savior. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.